4: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, modern life conspires against friendship, says Atlantic staff writer Jennifer Senior, even as it requires the bonds of friendship all the more. That's one of the paradoxes at the center of Senior's new piece. It's your friends who break your heart. A meditation on why friendships fade or collapse, and why in midlife those losses sting particularly hard. We'll talk to Senior about how she's navigating what she calls a great pandemic friendship reckoning and what it means to overcome the heartbreak of a lost friend. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When Atlantic staff writer Jennifer Sr. realized how very much she needed her friends in midlife, she began to look back at the friends she'd had and lost, the friendships she'd had and lost. The older we get, the more we need our friends, and the harder it is to keep them, reads the subtitle to Senior's Atlantic cover story out today. And we want to hear from you. Do you find yourself needing your friends more, but struggling to maintain those relationships? Has a Friend Ever Broken Your Heart? Jennifer Sr., welcome to Forum.
5: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
4: Great to have you on. One of the things that that you write about is how the pandemic has forced a friendship reckoning. How did the pandemic do that for you?
5: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the metaphor I used with that, it felt like it was a giant spin of the centrifuge where you know you suddenly you're separating your thickest friendships from your thinnest so in my own case but i don't think i'm unusual i think in many people's cases you know the people who were extremely important to me sort of loomed into sharper you know sort of loomed into view sharpened in their focus i spoke to them more frequently um Mm. those with whom i had more tenuous ties kind of receded Um, I think also a lot of people experienced a kind of nostalgia. They were suddenly reaching back and seeing their college friends and organizing old cohorts since you were doing it all by Zoom anyway, and you weren't seeing people in person. Um, I think the hardest thing is to think about like the ways that seeing friends involved something of a health risk in the beginning before there were vaccines and stuff. So crudely speaking, I think some of us were consciously or not thinking, who am I willing to see who might make me sick? <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> who, who might, I mean, that's a pretty profound question, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: That's where the thickest and thinnest comes in. But then you also talked about how. You know, as you described it, the ambient threat of death does make you think, OK, I need to renew and intensify some bonds or or reach out to people that I hadn't reached out to in a long time. And then there was another point that you had made about just this realization of the importance of a network um, around you, an interdependent network with the pandemic. Uh, We actually have a comment along those lines already. Oddity writes, making friends as an adult has been hard. At first, I didn't really understand why until I realized that all my friends have been situational, mostly school-related. Now even the friends I make at work are just that, work friends. We don't go out or socialize outside of work hours. I've tried meet-up groups, joining activities that I'm interested in, but nothing has stuck. All my closest friends are physically far away from me, and it's also made the COVID quarantine harder. Jennifer, the other thing that was interesting is that you were mulling the value of friendships even before the pandemic and and realizing how much you need them at this stage in your life. You called it mid-middle age um, (laughs) and you're 52. What was going on for you that you started realizing this even pre-pandemic?
5: Yeah, I'll tell you what was going on. I mean, it's a funny... uh... First of all, being 52 is surreal. You just wake up and you look in the mirror and think there's been some sort of error. You know, <laughs> that there's some kind of mistake. Um, and I think, you know, what starts to happen is this. At 52, you can sort of see, if you're lucky enough to have a career, right? You sort of know where it's cresting if it hasn't crested already, you know? I mean, you're, you, you know, um your relationship is either intact or it's not or it's blundering along muddling along whatever it is um if you have kids and i do um i have a son and two stepkids you know my son my stepkids are older my son is 14 and he is now splendidly indifferent to my company you know he can (laughs) easily take or leave me um and so who's left right? What is left? Where are your gratifications? It's your friends. But the problem with this is that, of course, until this moment, you have been gunning it in your career as a parent, you know, uh, as, a sp- as a spouse, you've been cultivating those three things. Those buckets were like all consuming. They, I mean, you poured everything into those buckets and your friends got less. So uh, just that you kind of pop your head up at a certain age and say, well, where is everybody? Mm. Because, you know, you've been watering other things
4: and where did people go um yeah. you you talked about how you wrote this piece and it was hard not to write this piece without thinking of the friends that you have lost um and so tell us a little bit about about some of the things that you realized about why these friendships ended
5: sure um and let me just say something more generally when I told people I was working on this story, people invariably did two things. They immediately told me about a story, uh, told me about a friend they'd lost, right? So if you tell someone you're working about, on a story about friendship, they immediately, t- their mind goes to the people they've lost, not to how, which is interesting, right? I mean, um, and the other thing that they do is they talk about envy, but we can talk about that later. Mm. Um, so the things that, There are reasons, I mean, there are lots of things that pry apart friendships, right? I think that the common ones are you lose your friends to, they get married and they become involved in their marriage. You may or may not like their spouse. They become parents and you may or may not kind of be compatible with their parenting style or philosophy or, you know, find them tolerable company as parents and vice versa, by the way, or maybe you don't have kids and they do or vice versa. Um, you can differ politically, even if you share the same politics, You can, somebody can become monomaniacal about something that you are kind of letting go. Um, I think success and failure are these hidden tripwires that really get people. It's hard to tolerate someone's success if they're doing amazingly and you're not. And vice versa, if somebody mm-hmm. is really struggling, you, know, you don't know how to manage your own. Um, so those things, all of them have affected me at one point or another in my life. I, I could get more specific about the couple of of examples I wrote about, you
4: know? Yeah. Well, well, let's dig into some of those. There was one also that you said right off the bat, which is that you have a terrible tendency not to reach out. That sounds very common. I'm sure you are not alone in that.
5: Well, it's so terrible, but you know, it's, it's, a friend had to point out to me like how hurtful it was and how selfish it is to sort of just assume that people will always be reaching out. And of course she was right. You know, um, and it is not, of course, anything that I was even really all that aware of. If you are a person who gets easily overwhelmed, as I do, then uh, you just are the sort of person who sort of never has the wherewithal to pick up the phone when it's ringing randomly because it's a friend of yours wanting to say hey. You know, my my I secretly feel with dread when I see that it's just a friend wanting to say hi. Thinking I can't do this, I can't carve out the space. Um, And I think that you have to um, reframe your thinking around that and be more flexible around stuff like that. Um, And also just this stuff, you need to be, I I hate this new agey kind of word, but you need to be a little more intentional about these things. I think Mm -hmm. really honestly, if you want them to work.
4: Yeah. Well, a listener writes on Instagram, it feels harder to accept if a relationship wanes when you believe that it's either you or the other person's fault. So friendships just drift away from us, and the pandemic made that easier for some. Some friendships are fractured by malicious intention, but most friendships just run a course. I say that people come into our lives to teach, help us with something, or to give us an opportunity to heal from trauma we have, or for us to teach them, help them through something. Another person, Kylie, writes on Instagram, Having a close friend suddenly disappear from my life with no explanation during the midst of a pandemic when you need your friends the most has been one of the most emotionally and mentally challenging experiences in my life. After three to four months of no reply to my texts and phone calls, I knew something was up. I tried asking, I tried reaching out many times, but at some point you, must, you just have to let go and move on. Having a best friend ghost you is far more hurtful than any guy.
5: Okay. Can I say two things about Please. those extremely vulnerable and wonderful comments? Um, it's interesting that they both track with um, l- large surveys and kind of the solid social science on this stuff. There's a lot of weak social science on this stuff. Yeah. But the first is that, yes, most friendships fade out. They, they don't end in operatic acrimony. <laughs> they they just kind of drift apart, right? Drift, and they, they, they fade into a gray resolve. But this other thing, right, about how dramatic and traumatic it is to get suddenly ghosted. No reason given, right? That's by definition what ghosting is. Or even if there is a reason given, for whatever the reason. Um, This one academic who I loved a lot, her name was Mazad Khojach. She had done this work that was so great, that vindicated this impulse I had, which showed that although on surveys people write down, they say that they would of course find it much more upsetting to be broken up with by a romantic partner. The truth of the matter is in real life in real time if a friend dumps them they're just as upset. It's every bit as destabilizing and they feel every bit as bereft.
0: Yeah. I mean
5: I I just think that you know we think of friends as part of the permanent architecture of our lives. So when one vanishes it's a really big deal.
4: Yeah. And you described the physical sensation of a friend breaking up with you, which I thought was so striking or needing to break up with a friend. And the reason that they gave, which was essentially that they had told you that, you know, you'd been relegated to a lower league, which is sort of a crazy thing to hear someone say to you. But it was um, my
5: Ted Lasso joke,
4: <laughs> but my uh, But you described my heart quickening, the blood thumping in my ears. It is. It's a very strong physical and emotional sensation, very much like heartbreak and the loss of a lover.
5: Totally. It was sense memories. I mean, I think that's just it. You know, and if I'd been hooked up, I mean, I remember hearing this and just feeling indistinguishably, you know, uh, the same Um, as devastated as I would have been if they had said, it's not you, it's me. I want to date someone else. You know, it was
6: terrible.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also you share the story of a man whose friend committed suicide. So he tried to rekindle a relationship with a mutual friend to sort of reminisce and, and build that back up and was denied. And I think that's basically where you got in part the title of your piece because in that denial you describe him as now dealing with two friendship deaths and, and him saying it's your friends who break your heart because they're who they're who's left.
5: I owe him for that story and for that quote. The quote is the title of my piece. That's just it.
4: Yeah. And uh and
5: your friends do break your heart. I mean, especially because look, there there's many more opportunities for that to happen. You know, you have one eventually in life, most of us, not all of us, but most of us, settle into one kind of uh, one one primary romantic relationship sometimes none but if you're gonna have one, you know very few people can sustain more than one big romantic relationship at a time unless you are like just a, a triumphantly successful polyamorous human being um and that means that the other kind of really intense relationships are your friends and you have tons and you have way more of them than you do romantic partners and so you have multiple opportunities to feel sad
4: yeah yeah We'll have more about friendships after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sarriaho's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.
4: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about the challenges of forming and maintaining friendships in adulthood with Jennifer Sr., staff writer for The Atlantic. Her new piece out today is called It's Your Friends Who Break Your Heart. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. You can call us at 866 733 6786. 866 733 6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. Email us forum at kqed.org. Have you lost friendships over the years what has caused that have you ever broken up with a friend or felt heartbreak when a friendship ended you can share those comments and many of you have already started to share those now this listener writes broken friendships sting especially at midlife i think my heart has been broken more by friends than lovers at this later age in my life i've learned to be guarded and very careful in choosing who would be worth the time and effort I can count true friends with only one hand, maybe less. I don't seem to mind making friends. Uh, Jennifer, you listed a few other things that I thought were interesting in terms of things that have caused friendships to die. And you said, politics, even if you have the same politics, what happens there?
5: Well, (laughs) you know, one of the things that I kept hearing about, and I also can think about this from my own personal experience, is um, when somebody becomes obsessive about something that you're not, you share their political point of view, but uh, they feel the need to filibuster a dinner about something that you're already in total agreement with, or you know, there comes a point when, I mean, American political life is getting increasingly tense and crazy. And there are times, particularly when you're with your friends, where you can sort of sense the moment to downshift and say, so, you know, what are you binge watching? <laughs> you know? um, and just to sort of remove the heat. And I, I think that there are, um, this moment in political, in our, you know, country's political life has sort of made, Even friendships with our, you know, like-minded peers, tough, unless they also have the exact same rhythms as you politically and and wax and wane and sort of in, in terms of their needs to talk about what's going on.
4: Well, the listener writes, I broke up with a friend I had since high school. It became clear to me that we had grown apart and developed different values as we matured, and simply holding on to a relationship because of its longevity was not a good enough reason to extend something that to me felt so toxic. Once I ripped off the Band-Aid, I felt a huge weight lift. More room was made in my life for other, more reciprocal relationships. Huh. Yeah, interesting, you could do write about a friend with whom you felt a real asymmetry um, in terms of like giving to each other. And one of the ways that that this became really clear was was in the way that this person, you know, would really not share very much of their lives. And I love this line where you write, talking with her was like playing strip poker with someone in a down parka. <laughs> Yeah. Can you talk about that relationship and what you learned about the importance of of reciprocity in that sense of?
5: Oh, yeah. God, talking to her was like, she's like (laughs) a building with no door. You know, there was just no way in, there was no way in. And it becomes hard after a while, because I think this is a way that um, friendships are built, particularly between women, you share confidences, right? You you build this kind these bridges of trust. They they know your stuff, you know their stuff, and they help you with your most intimate and complicated and spiky, thorny stuff, and vice versa. But if like they are never going to be forthcoming about this stuff, then you are just sitting there exposed, and eventually, I think it becomes untenable. You know, even more untenable than those friendships in which one person is constantly doing the reaching out, and the other person is passively going each time. Great, you know, I, I think that it, it's even worse just because, uh, y- y- you know, if somebody is, re- is at least reciprocating and kind once you're with them, it's okay, right? But, but this was just, I think, too much. And I've had it. I've had it a couple of times. Um, if I can also say about that previous. Um, a commenter who talked about the relief of unburdening herself from a friend that was, I think it was a woman, uh, of of a friendship that was too toxic. Um, There's good data about friends toward whom we feel ambivalence. They're bad for us. Hmm. They're they're worse for us than people who we just don't like. (laughs) They're worse for us than that, which is interesting.
4: Yeah. Talk about the problem friend and the effect that they have even on our physical health.
5: Yeah. I mean, I was really stunned by this, but, but it was a, one of the most solid, solidly and imaginatively designed studies I'd seen um, that looked at, they just looked at these biomarkers after we spent time with people who we, about whom we couldn't quite feel just okay Um and it turns out that our heart rates and blood pressure kind of goes up after spending time in their company, even more so than like the people who trigger genuine feelings of irritation in us and like unambiguous, unalloyed kind of annoyance. Because I, I, I suppose because then it's straightforward, right? You're not expecting more of yourself and feel and contending with disappointment if you're interacting with someone that you just know you don't like. Right. And you know- things don't work, but it's sort of heartbreaking every time you're, you're just, you know, you're Sisyphus, you're just kind of rolling in this rock up a hill and then getting crushed by it, you know?
4: Well, let me go to caller Julie in Belmont. Hi, Julie.
5: Hi. Hi. What would you like to share?
7: Well, I would just like, to, I, I'm fascinated by your, your program this morning and it really hit home for me. Um, I would like to share that, that it is equally heartbreaking. Sometimes I think for the people who have to terminate the friendship. Mm. I had a friend of, um, over 40 years. One of my best friends, actually, we called each other, our soul sisters, my own sister, my only sister passed away when I was 21 years old. And this friend of mine, um, knew my sister very well. So she was a member of my family, you know, in every sense that a person can be. And, um, But the last 20 years or so of our friendship, to be fair, was very fraught because she was in an extremely abusive marriage with Mm -hmm. an alcoholic husband. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, loving her unconditionally, offered nothing but support. The last 10 years of our friendship was pretty much defined by her talking to me all the time about the abuse. And I was able to facilitate a situation for her whereby she got some counseling, but she just kept changing counselors. I at one point was even paying for her counseling because I wanted her to, um, I really wanted her to be able to find some strength and seek some happiness. And to make a very long story short, what became clear to me was what she really, really wanted to do was just sit and talk endlessly about her pain and not actually do anything about it. And it became a problem for a couple of my friends from whom I was seeking advice because I just loved her so much. Mm. And she was was my sister. But I was starting to lose sleep, and it was affecting my health and my well-being. And I actually sought out some clinical counseling of my own, which was extremely helpful to me um over the years i had set boundaries but it didn't work and so um yeah i finally had to terminate the friendship and i will say it's just about the hardest thing i've ever had to do in my life
5: you know there is data about this in the marriage counseling world um that shows that actually and i don't know if i believe it i've always thought it was a little uh too good to be true, but there's some evidence to suggest that people who terminate relationships feel worse, ultimately, um, than... Those who, And the
4: people you, who are left, yeah.
5: Yeah, then who are left. And you can imagine the reasons why. And um no one wants to be in the position of hurting someone else. It hurts a lot to hurt someone, particularly when they are, as you're pointing out, somebody who's quite vulnerable. And I describe in my story a situation between two women where one woman was in the position of saying, get your act together. And the other woman was saying, I'm trying. Can't you see I'm trying? And that's a dynamic that frequently kind of, takes place in relationships too that's really really grueling
1: yeah where
5: no and no one likes being in either position no one likes being told to get your act together and no one likes hollering it at their friend you know or gently saying it to their friend so yeah. these are familiar familiar stories yeah
4: well, julie thank you for Sharing what a profound impact this friendship had on you, and that important point about how it's very hard for the person who is doing the breaking up. And one of the things that you point out, Jennifer Senior, is that we really don't have a script for friends breaking up or rituals for that. It's much more in the romantic world that we have things that we say and do, and how that's made this process also harder.
5: Much harder. I mean, you know, do you convene a dedicated lunch? I mean, what do you do? um no one has a good answer for that i mean and sometimes you know it it both parties are feeling it so no conversation is absolutely fine i think the problem situations happen when you know, one person is just bewildered and doesn't understand why someone has cut off contact uh, or, you know, in uh, you uh, sort of gestured at one of the stories that I told, but a friend told me point blank once that my feelings just didn't matter as much anymore because he'd become a father. Wow. And uh, I mean, uh, while I'm sure that was true, it, it was really kind of, I mean it was trippy it was almost a hallucinatory moment to like sort of go really? you're saying that out loud like that's harsh you know and i got it but it was really hard to hear
4: yeah um well i'm sorry that happened to you jennifer
5: <laughs> <laughs>
6: and it was a long time ago i'm okay
4: <laughs> <laughs> let me go to caller meredith in oakland hi meredith
6: Hey, Thanks for having this topic. I think it means a lot to all of us. I felt over the years, I'm now almost about 70, and what I figured out is it's really important to have three groups of friends. Your A group is the people you cherish. They're the historical friends that you, you always think of them. You cut them slack. You keep up their friendships if they're healthy. The B group is like the people maybe you do political work with and you take hikes, and the C group is the people in the hot tub at my gym. I chat with them. I'm, most of them, I don't know their last names, but we look forward to seeing each other. So that's why you're never lonely during the pandemic. There's always somebody. And I don't know. I think I made up this saying. Um, I, I know it works for me. But, you know, people can always make new friends. You can always make new friends, but you can't make new old friends. Mm. Yep. So it's important to keep up those relationships. I mean you want to have someone around who knew you when you were 30, who knew you, when you were 20, if you're lucky. I think that's really important to have that continuity, to yeah. have historical friends.
4: Well, Meredith, it sounds like you have reached a certain place that where you kind of understand the value of different types of friendships, and, and I'm glad to hear that that you have. Um, let me go next to caller Olga in Oakland. Hi, Olga.
3: Hi. Maybe Meredith answered my question. I don't know, but um, I wanted to to ask, you know, I've had a a friend from college um, and, you know, we were best friends in college. We really grew apart afterwards. Um, I think due to some stuff that happened in her personal life, she thinks because I changed. In any case, we've been trying maybe for almost 10 years now to rekindle the friendship. Like we call each other, we visit each other, but it's not the same it's kind of awkward it feels like work to maintain Mm. it and I just wanted to ask like I mean I'm not gonna I don't feel like I want to give up on it but you know if it's such work to to keep in touch and should we just keep trying maybe we'll land somewhere else I don't know I wanted to to hear your thoughts.
4: Olga, thanks. Jennifer, what what do you think?
5: You know, I'm not um, in the advice dispensing business, but I mean, I will say this. Um, There was a sociologist that I quoted who had looked at a really big cohort of people in the Netherlands and discovered that people in your social network actually shift. About every seven years, you... 50% of the people in your social network will change. So um, it would not, it would be um, upsetting, but not atypical if this friend somehow slipped out of your life, you sound young. So maybe you're just not used to this happening and it happens, it just does and it's not, it's not you it's sort of the natural rhythms and you know sort of sheddings that one does and you know you reacquire friends although as the previous caller said you know it's harder to make old friends but uh, I don't remember which rock band it was was it I don't think it was the Beatles was it that said trying to get back together it couldn't have been the Beatles Mm. but said that trying to get back together was like reinflating a souffle I mean you can't do it sometimes
4: yeah, well this listener writes, growing up with books like The Sisterhood of Traveling Pants, being surrounded by TV shows and movies featuring lifelong friendships, seeing my sisters have them, I always yearned for a best friend. Maybe I tried too hard as a result, but it never worked out for me. I could never rely on other people the way I allowed them to rely on me. I think there are some interesting things in that point. We do, we do see that we are surrounded by images of people with these very close and intense friendships all over pop culture and media. But I'm so struck by the stats that you put in your piece where, you know, the percentage of Americans who say they don't have a single close friend has quadrupled since 1990 or that there was a Pew survey that said nearly 40 percent of Americans now say they feel less close to a friend they know well. And that that seems to be somewhat pandemic related. But I do wonder if um, we almost the, the reality of People's friendships and and maybe even Meredith was getting to this that friendships play different roles, are not what's glorified in terms of these really intense friendships of people who you know you would, I don't know, call it at four a.m. or walk into right. their house uninvited. You know
5: all those kinds of yep. things. Is really that realistic? Yep. I don't think it's that realistic. I I, I think those Im- images are kind of a tyranny. Honestly, I don't think that I think that one of the reasons they exist in Hollywood is precisely because they're a fantasy. They're aspirational. I mean, which is not to say that you don't have like enduring gangs of friends. Some people do. Some people have enduring best friends and some people have. But it's not atypical to not have that arrangement. And it's not atypical for there to be fluidity in these arrangements. Um, I think that, you know, one of the reasons that shows like friends and shows like, you know, Sex in the City and Just Like That and, you know, all these other and uh, every movie depiction of these kinds of arrangements, I, I think one of the reasons that they captivate people is precisely because, you know, they're, they're made up.
4: Well, let me go to caller Steve in Kansas. Hi, Steve. Go right ahead.
8: Hi. Uh, everything that you've been saying uh, just really uh, touched me and helped me understand the situation in which uh, I was left, uh, uh he was a uh, and is still uh, a long time associate you know early high school uh, i'm in my mid 70s and um it was just uh, unbelievably traumatic and when i heard your program mm. all of these feelings i'd been having really came together because it literally was a breakup uh and i was just heartbroken and uh uh, it's been about a year, and until I could actually uh, realize that I really, it really was like a, a, a breakup with a, uh, a woman, uh, I couldn't get any better. And so it's taken about a year, but I, I really hadn't thought about it for several weeks until I turned on your program, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a second uh, point I want to make: I really. Um, Connected and learned a lot with this notion of ambivalent friends uh, being more damaging to your health and outlook than those people that you could just outright don't like. Uh, anyway, it's uh, I'm I'm really glad for the conversation.
4: Well, Steve, I'm really glad you called. Thank you for sharing that.
5: Can I can I jump in for one sec?
4: Of course, Jennifer.
5: Yeah, I, I I'm also really grateful he called because men are way less reluctant. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Are way more reluctant? I think generally, to talk openly in the way that he just did.
4: Yeah, and, yeah. and
5: uh, I, I really appreciate that. I, 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 I'm I'm very moved by it.
4: Well, um, similarly, or maybe not. Tristan writes, I'm. St- struck by the lack of men responding. I'm a 52-year-old male who has experienced very painful friendships ending. The worst was someone whom I considered my bestie since we were college roommates. But a few years ago before the pandemic, he basically ghosted me. When I called him to ask what was going on, he ended up gaslighting me. Very upsetting. I don't know if he'll ever mend things. And I'm left wondering, was our relationship toxic? Is he just a jerk? Did I do something wrong? Did he just change in ways that forced us apart? More on friendships after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the challenges of forming and maintaining friendships in adulthood with Jennifer Sr., staff writer for The Atlantic. Her new piece out today that you should check out is called It's Your Friends who break your heart. You can call us to join the conversation at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. And, and we so appreciate all the comments that we are getting and try to get to as many as possible. This listener writes on Instagram. Have a big life event like a wedding or a baby, and it's easy to see who are the friends who will evolve with you rather than expect something from you, another listener writes on Instagram. After kids, yes, I've struggled to make friends. I also had a friend break up at age 39. We even met up to officially break up. And Janine writes, I'm a retired addiction counselor who spent many years working in residential rehabs for drug and alcohol addiction. There were always a lot of emotional ups and downs at work, and I had no desire for emotional drama in my home and friend life, too. I broke up with one friend of many years after she told me a long story about the behavior of her son's mother-in-law. I just didn't have the energy for someone else's drama. It was too much like being at work and not enough support for me and my well-being. And Jamie writes, I've been on the receiving end of a friend breakup and it still stings for me. This person was my friend for ten years. Five years ago, I leaned on her after my boyfriend and I suddenly broke up after three years. After a few months, I think the weight of my emotions was too much for her and she said over text that she wanted space. She cut me out of her wedding as a bridesmaid. I was still invited to the event, but that's the last time I saw her and we haven't spoken since. The pain cuts cuts a different way compared to a romantic breakup. In some respects, I have come to the conclusion that we'll never talk again, and I'm trying to lean on the good memories we had together when she comes to mind.
5: Jennifer, there was
4: something you said very early on in our conversation. You mentioned the word envy, which is a really interesting reason and one that as you pointed out in your piece, not often talked about as the reason that friendships break apart. Can you share what you learned about the role of envy and people's successes or failures in what they play in a friendship?
5: Well, first of all, you will not read much about it in social science. You've got to go to art. I mean, art deals with the subject of envy far better than psychology does. Um, so, you know, read novels, read Aristotle. You know, you can read Adam Smith, on the subject of envy, which was fascinating to me, and his, you know, the theory of moral sentiments, he actually said that if somebody is really lucky, they ought to go out of their way to subdue their elation when they are around their friends, because they will just torture their friends with their happiness, which is very astute and, you know, spot on. Um, What did I learn? I mean, it is a lot of friendships are subtly predicated on the idea that you are on top and your friend is, you know, one notch below, sometimes not,
4: mm.
5: but it, it, you can find it. And I, in, in many friendships, um, the the story that I tell at greater length was looking at Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who, the two men who together um, basically founded the field of behavioral economics. Kahneman won a Nobel prize for this eventual Tversky had had already died, but there was this terrible competition and envy between the two of them that Michael Lewis got at really beautifully in the Undoing Project, and Danny Kahneman talks about it really openly, about how he he was just choking on it. It was just so hard, you know, to to be kind of in this very cold shadow of someone, and not necessarily rightly. Um, I wrote about my own experience with it. You know, it was kind of my own only experience that I've really had with it in the last like two decades, you know, but I which I can talk about or not. Yeah, um, sure. Okay, well, you have a well, friend I'm,
4: who got published in an incredible way and great success with his book. Well, long. I
5: mean, it was more than that, you know, I, because you know, I, I, I'd done well with my first book and you know, I, I've, I've had nice publishing success. He went on to write a second book and it got picked by Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> I mean, I, I said this in my story. I don't have any real fantasies about being like some kind of celebrity. I, a lot of people sort of crave fame secretly or not secretly, and I don't. But I kind of secretly sort of always wanted to be interviewed by Oprah. I thought it would be really really cool. And <laughs> <Yeah>. of course, like. <laughs> is that it's the dumbest wish like what are the odds Point no, like, you know, like <laughs> zero 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 one percent but then it happened to my friend that, you know what i i was my mind was like saying two things at once it was like this is incredible and i love you and i, I want nothing but success for you and the other part was like i'm gonna die of, of, of envy right now i cannot even stand how jealous i am um and it, you know i got over it quickly it, it's my friend bob colker He wrote this amazing book called hidden valley road And um, he, you know, what what saved it wasn't anything that I did. It wasn't like I was the bigger man here. He just wound up being the same guy afterwards. You know, he was still vulnerable and still anxious and still talked to me about all of his anxieties in the world. And he kept reminding me uh, that I was great at the moments that I felt like I was really not great. You know, he continued to be a really steady, wonderful friend. but, you know, what, what was it that Gord Vidal said? You know, we uh, every time a friend of mine succeeds, I die a little inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it, people have to acknowledge that there's some truth to that, right? Yeah,
4: it, it's interesting, those relationships, as you say, that are predicated on these subtle differences in power and, and when those power dynamics change, what they can potentially do to a friendship. Let me go to Maria in Pacifica. Hi, Maria. Hi. What did you want to share?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to share. First of all, I love this topic. Um, I think it's relatable to so many people listening right now. But I also wanted to bring to um, listeners' attention, there's a friendship expert who's actually a friend of mine, Shasta Nelson. She's written several books on adult friendships and even about friendships in the workplace. And all the data around the fact that friendship in the workplace actually makes work better and people more productive and more loyal But in her first book, Friendships Don't Just Happen, it was devoted to this topic around how hard it is to make friends as an adult Mm. and also what happens when you have to shift friendships and they evolve. And one of the things she always talks about, I'm sure I'm not doing it justice, but is kind of the the triangle of what's required to have an effective friendship. And she talks about reciprocity, which you've talked about um, in this conversation, vulnerability, which has also been touched on, and consistency. So often when we have those friendships like in college or at work, they're like really intense because we're together all the time. And then when you take away the consistency, sometimes that can, you know, that's sort of like the leg falling off the stool of, of the friendship. So when you're actively trying to maintain friendships, remembering vulnerability, reciprocity and consistency is super important because if you're lacking one of those elements, that's where people can start to feel resentment or you can grow apart. And so I was just curious if um, Jennifer came across any of Shasta's work because she's done a ton of work in this area.
4: Well, Maria, thanks. I don't know if it was so much Shasta's work, but what Maria is describing in terms of those recommendations or the triangle certainly are echoed in your piece, Jennifer.
5: Yeah, I, I had not. And thank you for the recommendation. I had not. Um, but yes, those those are themes that definitely kept com- coming up. Um, c- consistency is, I think, the one that, I was continually copying to sort of falling down on, Um, you know, I'm just terrible when you're in this kind of total environment, when you're at college and it, all you have to do is like knock on on the door of your best friend while you're in your pajamas. It's really easy. It's harder when you're juggling, you know, family and work and all these other things. Um, Yes. I have heard versions of exactly this, that um, you know, the key kind of elements to a friendship are standing up for each other, trusting and confiding in each other, supporting each other, offering help, trying to make each other happy, keeping each other up to date, reciprocity, you know, consistency, all of these things are things I have heard. Yeah, they are good rules of thumb.
4: And on the point about um, making friends that Maria brought up, the zistner writes, making friends as an adult is bizarre, but I found when I moved to California at 33, I had a chance to reinvent myself. The friends I found here after years of dipping my toe in social situations are more aligned to the person I am today, the more mature me who knows what I want out of life and how I want to spend my time. My friends in the Midwest are still dear to me and I try to see them every time I go back, but my adult friends get me on a much deeper level another listener writes for a lot of people the meeting people is the easy part it's the building of friendships that is difficult for me it's meeting people that's hard though everything social is so expensive joining gyms joining classes going out to bars and social events finding options at all for meeting people around your age is already a challenge but finding affordable ones is even harder Uh, let me go to caller Dwyer in Southern California hi Dwyer
2: Hi. uh love this topic. Uh, I, I worked in the show business for years and also wrote a book, and I was just going to add a comment to, uh, you know, when you're writing a book or writing a movie, they have casting uh, uh, considerations in mind, and usually you try to make this group of friends, you know, uh, consistent, and each has this kind of trait, like in Friends or Sex and the City, you know, which I think is unrealistic. You know, the friends that you make in real life have, have you know, more – more, you know, different, varied uh, aspects of their life than they sometimes uh, try to limit it down to when you're doing, uh, when you're casting a movie. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, I, I, my wife and I uh, really love each other. We've been together 20 years, but I, we just had this talk the other morning that there's nobody I'd rather spend time with than her. And, you know, if I die someday, the only regret I would have is not spending more time with her. So I find myself not, I would just rather be with her uh, oh. than be with uh, some of my my friends so uh that's just another aspect uh, thank you so much for the topic
4: Thank you Dwyer that is that is beautiful um and and I share that with my partner as well and uh, it's reminding me actually Jennifer senior of of what you brought up in terms of where you I think feel like you've sort of landed um about about the optimal perspective on the relationships that you currently have.
5: Yep. Uh, I think that's true. Also, just to point something out, a lot of men will say that their wives, if they're in a straight relationship, are their best friends. Women, it's a more mixed response often. So it's it's interesting. I find that interesting. Um, the optimal relationship question is... Um, Or the optimal distance thing. I think, and so many of your um, kind of commenters and callers said stuff that was really rich and interesting, like the idea that when you're older you you privilege a kind of strength of character and a steadiness of character over high drama, I think, and um, you like stability, I think, and that doesn't mean that people have to be boring. They can be, as I say, joyous goofballs and eccentrics, but There just has to be some underlying substrate that makes the friendship safe and comfortable. Um, I think that that is something that happens, whereas when we're younger, we sort of privilege cleverness and, you know, eccentricity, but sometimes at the cost of stability. Um, I think that, you know, if you're clever, you learn how to luxuriate in the friendships that you have and build them and shore them up. Um, It's harder to find new friends, you know, so doubling down and tripling down on the the really solid infrastructure that you have around you is always a smart idea as you get older, but finding new people, it's really, it's one of the ways that life continues to be interesting. As you get older, there aren't that many opportunities for creativity and renewal. This is one, you know, finding new people. So that matters too.
4: Well, we're talking friendships with Jennifer senior and you're listening to forum. I'm Mina Kim, Nancy in Berkeley. Thanks for waiting, Nancy.
9: Um, Yes. Um, I feel like I could maybe write a book on friendships. I'm 83, and um, I've had all kinds of different friendships, but um, I have these three friends that I've been friends with since college. They live in different parts of the country. We've traveled together, and and you know, done things together, and I miss them terribly. And n- none of us are in any position to travel, so the most we can do is talk to each other over the phone or email. But um, interesting, I have a daughter, and um, if I'm really honest, I have to say that she is my best friend.
4: Mm-hmm. And
9: I was worried about this and talked to my um, my shrink about it and uh she said no she said you don't have to feel guilty or dumb about it <laughs> that um that it's it's great that you've got this kind of relationship and most of my friends are really old friends uh 20 30 years my other I mean, my college friends are 60 years or more and um, the only friend I've made in the last couple years, really, is my cousin, who I didn't even know about and moved out here. And we now are extremely close friends and do a lot of things together. And um, I don't know what I would do without my women friends. Um, they're well, most important to me.
4: Well, thank you, Nancy. Really appreciate you you sharing that. And that's really sweet. Um Let me see if I can just get to a few more comments here. We've got so many. Again, Jennifer Sr.'s piece in The Atlantic is, It's your friends who break your heart. And Stella writes, I had a work friend that turned into my best friend and confidant for over 25 years. She mysteriously ended our friendship somewhere around 2009. I have sent endless emails, letters, and phone calls. She unfriended me on Facebook. I still don't know why. It haunts me. Annie, if you are listening, I still miss you. I hope you are. Well, uh, and another listener writes, um, usually you can meet new people and establish relationships through work. But as jobs become virtual, what does it mean to have relationships that aren't rooted in the place I live? In the age of Zoom fatigue, it's hard to build closer relationships when all you want is connection away from the computers, and then throw this pandemic into the mix, we moved back to our home state a few months before the pandemic hit. And while we feel so fortunate to have family around who have served as our closest community, we haven't developed our friendships in place like we had hoped to. <clears throat> I'm so a little uh, emotional from Stella's comment there. Anyway, I, Jen I can't writes.
5: you're saying that I'm crying. I, can't, I, 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 I know. Like, I'm so glad um, it's you hosting this show and not me. Oh my god. <laughs> keep going.
4: And uh, Andrea writes, I'm currently grappling with the guilt of not considering my sister a friend. She's in need of a friend now as she's going through a tough medical crisis, but I don't feel the base of a friendship to sacrifice living my life to help. Do you have to be friends with your siblings? Ooh, that's a tough question. I don't know if you have a quick thought on that. We just have about a minute or so left, Jennifer.
5: I mean, I, I don't. And I think that it, the one unexplored thing that I just, I really regret not looking at is, what it means to be friends with our relations. I loved um I can't remember the name of the 83-year-old caller who said, you know, uh, my my cousin is my new friend and I was thinking, yes, you have a, a foundation to start on. It's it's like they're not quite a stranger. They show up, say you're they're your cousin and you can invite them out to tea, right? But I don't, you know, sibling relationships are extraordinarily fraught I yes. don't have any special wisdom to, br- to bring you're well, lucky lest if you don't have a fraught sibling relationship I'm lucky I don't have a fraught one but
4: I any wisdom, yeah well any wisdom of having done this deep dive that you want to share just at the very end in terms of your plan for your friendships <laughs> moving
5: forward uh, yeah, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to like start putting them in the calendar. I'm going to do what my friend does. I'm going to open up my address book, see who I haven't spoken to recently, and then put the, make a note to call them the following day and organize a date. It's the best advice I've got.
4: <laughs> well, thank you so much for your piece, Jennifer Senior. I really appreciate it. And it clearly struck a chord with our listeners today.
5: Good. Thanks for
4: having me. Jennifer, so yes, thank you. Jennifer Sr. is a staff writer for The Atlantic. Her piece published online today. It's called It's Your Friends Who Break Your Heart. And I want to thank our listeners for sharing the friendships that have broken their hearts, the friendships that have strengthened them and, and for their vulnerability and stories. You have been listening to Forum. My, my gratitude also to Susie Britton, uh, who produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sarriaho's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.